A very warm welcome to the second in Working It Out, the podcast from Advance, where we are looking at the impact of the epidemic, of the pandemic, of the last 18 months on all things work. And today we are looking at the impact on our brains. This episode is all about lockdown brains, and we have got a wonderful um, guest to talk to who has got lots of um, amazing information. And actually, having already talked to her, if you're listening to this podcast, I've got two recommendations. Either listen to it again again so you get in all the information you'll understand why or take notes because there's so much to get your head around a very warm welcome to Catherine Loveday who's professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of Westminster and it's lovely to see you and I say see you because I'm in my house you're in your house and that is how so many of us have worked and we've got so much to talk about um, how that is affecting us so very good morning first of all how are you I'm good, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to chatting. Let's start so right at the beginning. And I know you've been looking at the impact of all of this on our cognitive function in the workplace. Um, explain to us what you've looked at and, you know, the main, the main, your main findings. Well, we've been particularly interested in memory because a lot of people said that they were struggling with memory and they were not being able to remember people's names or they were forgetting words and things like that. Um, And so we decided to run a a big study on about 600 people and just ask them uh, all sorts of things about their memory. Um, And we also slightly tested their memory in that we asked them to um, give us two or three important memories from lockdown. And that, that was important because it allowed us to get a sense of whether people people's memories were still fundamentally working or whether they'd been damaged. Um, And in a nutshell, what we found was that a huge number of people, um, over 50% of people had experienced uh, some form of memory loss. Um, And I suppose the important thing to say here is that we're asking people to rate their own memory. So that's not the same as having actually measured their memory. But nevertheless, uh, it's obviously really important. And we we found in particular it was things like um, people forgetting uh, words. There was a lot of word finding. Um, also, people were struggling particularly with remembering what day something happened, um, whether something happened yesterday or whether it happened a week ago. Um, whereas there were certain things like uh, much more um, important things like knowing where something belonged. Um, those are the kinds of things that weren't Uh, affected. So it wasn't absolutely all of memory. And I suppose an important thing for me to explain as a memory scientist is that memory isn't just one thing. We have different aspects of memory. So remembering how to ride a bike, for example, is different from remembering what we did yesterday. And that's different from being able to learn new information. So not all aspects of memory were affected, but certainly things like word finding and remembering when something happened um, and sort of details, people were losing those. And those word finding, when something happened, details are all actually really important from a work point of view, aren't they? They are. And that's what I think people were struggling with. Uh, So we were interested in why this was happening. So we've also asked other questions like how much people were getting out and about, how much social um, time they had with people, what form of socialising they were doing. um, And also lots of things around stress and the number of changes that people had experienced. And what we found was that there were a couple of things that really predicted this memory loss. So the first was um, how much people were moving around. So people who were very static and doing pretty much everything in one room were having more problems than people who were continuing to commute. So people like key workers who absolutely had to carry on commuting 
actually were struggling less in some ways than people who were stuck in one room. And the other thing we found was that the amount of change. So the more change people were experienced as a result of the pandemic, the more they struggled with their memory. And usually that was changes in stress, higher stress levels, more engagement with the news, uh, more things to worry about, changes to their day-to-day life, increased responsibilities, all of that kind of stuff. Let's talk about does it matter? I mean, I can plainly see it does, but in kind of what aspects does it matter? I think, interestingly, it matters uh, partly because people feel it matters. So our memories are really, really important to us. We rely on our memories for so much. And I work a lot with people who've had memory loss. And it's absolutely devastating to people to not be able to remember things. It's such a fundamental part of who we are and how we manage and how we interact with people and how we plan. So when people feel that they haven't got a good grasp on their memory, if they feel that they can't refer back to what they did yesterday or can't remember what it was, and particularly can't remember a word, those things are so fundamental to how we negotiate the world and, and of course, how we manage the world of work. Um, and people feel stupid. If they can't remember a word, they feel stupid. And that's not, you know, they're not, and everyone understands, but it's a really, people get very, very self-conscious about that. I have that. I definitely have that. And it's really frustrating. You're like, you know, the word is there, but you just can't for mm. some re- And you, you can explain to the reason why we can't get it. Um, you said that people who are not moving, not commuting, not going into work, uh, remember less and, and it has a bigger impact. So what's going on there? This is so interesting. So in some ways, this was a theory that I wanted to test because we were, before we did the study, we were thinking really hard about what could be causing these changes that people were anecdotally reporting. Um, And one theory is that by moving around the world, uh, fundamentally, we're stimulating an area of our brain called the hippocampus. So the hippocampus is is one of the really important structures in our brain that helps us to remember stuff. It helps us to store memories, but it also helps us to find our way around. Um, And we know, for example, I don't know if you've come across this study, but a really fascinating study with taxi drivers in London. And they found that these taxi drivers had bigger hippocampuses. So the more people have to navigate and the more people they look around, the more that part of our brain grows and develops. Um, And so one of my thoughts and one of my theories was that by people not moving around, they're just not stimulating that part of the brain. Now, that doesn't really mean that part of the brain is going to stimulate and disappear and not be there, but it does mean it's not working so hard. And part of this comes from an evolutionary sort of perspective, because if we leave our house or our place of safety, we need to know how to get back there. So immediately our our kind of hippocampus comes online and our brain wakes up and it says, right, we need our memory system now, because if we're going to leave this place, we need to know how to get back. So simply moving around and navigating our environment stimulates the hippocampus, it stimulates the, the memory system. Um, The other thing is much simpler than that, and that is that if we do absolutely everything in the same room and in the same place, we have no novel cues to associate um, with different events. So one of the things that allows us to distinguish between something that happened today and something that happened a week ago is where we were, who we were with, what we were looking at. And all of those things act as, as cues to stimulate Um, our memory and to associate with it. So suddenly people are having all of their conversations, their social conversations, their family conversations and their work conversations around the same table in the same house. 
Um, and they haven't got those novel cues anymore. They haven't got the thing. You know, when you're walking down the street, everybody will have had this experience. They walk down the, s- the street they've walked down before and they'll see something and it'll su- they'll suddenly go, oh, last time I was here, I was with such and such or I was thinking about this or I was about to go here because that's what our brain does. That cue comes into mind and it triggers that memory and we're not getting those sort of differences and those cues and those triggers. What can you do? So if you so lots of people and will be in a, a house where they mm. can't necessarily you know, that we've not been able to walk around or change the view. So what can you do? So this is, I think, a really important question. And it sounds really silly, but there are, I think, really simple things you can do. So you could, for example, just change the direction you face. So, you know, it sounds silly, but just looking out of a different window for a different conversation. Um, I've also suggested to people that even if you just kind of put different pictures around the room or just change something about the setup, um, Anything you can do to sort of change the environment is going to help. And the other thing that I've suggested is that where it's possible, people could go for a walk and have some of those meetings, um, you know, walking around. And I think people are a bit fearful of that because they like to have pen and paper with them and they like to be able to write things down. But anecdotally, people are telling me that they're remembering things better if they're walking around while they're having those conversations. That's so interesting. And that whole thing about sort of back to back zooms, you just, yeah. you know, some people will be going from one to another, won't mm-hmm. they? And mm-hmm. not, you know, in it, I suppose in an office environment, you might walk to somebody's desk, for example, mightn't you? Exactly. And, and literally getting up and moving. And even if you forget all the stuff that I've already said about why that's important, literally physically moving our body gets the blood going around the brain. It just does. You know, we know this from absolutely loads of research that physical movement stimulates the brain it wakes us up and it makes us more um more alert so so even that makes a difference there's so many questions here so what does that um impact have on on our ability to concentrate for example I think this is another really important point. So we didn't actually assess concentration as part of our research, but other people have looked at that. There's been one study that has looked at that and they have found that things like concentration and memory and so on kind of got worse as a result of lockdown and then got better as lockdown was easing. Um, I think concentration is well it's a key part of remembering for a start but it's also a key part of anything else so being able to control our emotions being able to um focus on what we're doing and do good problem solving all of that stuff even being creative requires um that level of attention and concentration and the problem with zoom is that it zaps an awful lot of that um we have a limited attentional capacity. That means we can only hold so much in our sort of conscious mind at once. So our, our, our memory storage is huge, but to be able to what you actually hold in mind at any point in time is a kind of limited, think of it as a kind of bucket, or I used to describe it as the kind of um, screen on a, on, a, on a calculator. You can only get so many digits on there. And basically being on Zoom is really, really demanding because we're not getting the full quality of people's voices. We're not getting the full, we're only seeing their faces. We're not seeing other aspects of nonverbal communication. Um, And there are all sorts of other things that are kind of unusual, like the fact that only one person can talk at a time, which you'd think would be a good thing, right? You'd think that's a good thing to happen in a meeting. But actually what you're missing is the little kind of ums and ahs and and the 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 acknowledgements that, that you would normally get. And of course, 
Sometimes it breaks up. Sometimes people don't have good quality sound. All of those things are a demand on the brain because the brain is having to fill every, or every single gap in. So every time the voice drops out, your perception will be of a fluent piece of, of what you're hearing. But actually, the brain is having to do a lot of work to fill all those gaps in. It's a bit like trying to look at something through a blurry glasses or something or with cotton wool in your ears. You just have to work harder. And because of that, it takes up a huge amount of concentration energy. So there's not that much capacity left to, to do what you're supposed to be doing, which makes it much more demanding. And that's why it's so tiring. So, th so there's no surprise then that we all found it really tiring, suddenly this new way of, of, of focus or trying to make, and you're not mm. even conscious that your brain is really over focusing in a different way. No, I don't think we are conscious of it until we get to the end of the day and we think, why am I so exhausted? And people, I know a lot of people have said that as soon as they've gone back into the office, they've just had this sort of breath of fresh air that they can actually interact with a someone who's the full size, you know, because even just looking at a small picture is is more demanding on our system than seeing something in its full size. I mean, it's amazing. It's utterly amazing that we can do all this stuff. It's it's made such a difference to the way people have managed, but it does come at a cost. Um, the other thing um, about mind wandering as well, because mm. obviously, you know, I'm looking at, I think I might have to make you bigger to carry on this <laughs> now but you know you know you really have to even use your eyes in a different way don't yeah. you yeah yeah everything um I was I was thinking that as well just in in while I'm looking at you now that I'm, I'm kind of aware that I'm having to work quite hard and focus quite hard I don't know if that's just because my vision's not as good as it used to be no, well, but I am too but <laughs> I don't know either um and I, and I was thinking that that's the difference between having somebody who's actually there in real life it, it is just easier um, but I think the mind wandering thing is also really interesting because we all do mind wandering. And at school, we were told off, weren't we? You know, it was like, if you start daydreaming, your teacher will say, what are you doing looking out the window? Come and focus on what I'm doing. And actually, mind wandering is a hugely important part of being creative, uh, of being social um, and of uh, making plans and thinking forward. So uh, mind wandering is a kind of time travel that we do all the time without thinking about it. Um, and the slightest thing can distract us. And interestingly, it, when you're looking at Zoom, you can sometimes get distracted by something in someone's background or, uh, or whatever. Now, mind wandering is generally, I would argue, quite a good thing because it allows us to do those things. But but it also means that we're not focused and we're not concentrating. Now, when we, I think, are in a live situation, we have the um, ability to, to kind of uh, take time out and still listen to what's being said and still concentrate. But within Zoom, if you do that, you lose it completely. So Zoom is zaps so much of our concentration and so much of our attention that there's nothing left to do that sort of creative bit of mind wandering that you might do. Um, and I feel that a lot of people have, well, people have said to me, and I feel myself, that I can't be as creative as I might be in a kind of Zoom situation because I just don't have that spare capacity. If I let go to mind wander, I, I lose what's going on. You just need to really, really focus to stay on uh, on task, I think, with, with uh, these kind of online conversations. I'm really, I'm really glad that we're doing this podcast actually on Zoom because, you know, I think if we were in a, 
sitting next to each other, it would be it would be a different conversation. But actually, mm. we're kind of you know it, by doing it like here, we we can see what's going on. Because mm. I look down at my notes just to because we talked to you before, and literally in the second that I look down and look back, I'm like, oh gosh, I've lost a bit. Yeah. But in a you know in a live situation, I know I don't find that. I know it is really interesting, isn't it? And I I have absolutely found those experiences as well. And it is just because there's this limited capacity. It's so much more demanding to do it this way. Um. So there's so many things I want to ask you. So um, the impact on creativity. I mean, you know, lots of people listening might think, oh, it's been fine. But actually, there'll be lots of ways we won't even know that it's impacted. Yeah, I uh, sorry. Can you just say that again? Because a car went past and I got distracted by. But there you there go. That's you go. a good you example. See, see, well, that's another thing. You know, at any point, you know, the car a car's gone past you. My dogs are going to bark. That's you're right. You're so right. So I was going, what I said was, yeah. Um, you know, we don't even know. Lots of people will think, oh, it's all been fine. We've managed. We've done mm. great, and not know that actually we've missed out that kind of magic mm. bit of creativity of chemistry that we've we we all have, and we don't even realise we have it. Yeah, I think people are realising it now they've come back. I think people are coming back and going, well, actually, that that meeting felt so much easier. I, I felt like, I, I mean, I've had colleagues saying to me, um, oh, it's just amazing. We can sit down and we can work on this document together. And suddenly it just feels so easy. It's almost like, I think, you know, being able to run a marathon and then someone asking you to run three miles. It just feels so easy compared to what, what we have been doing. So I think the real um, the real kind of insight comes as we go back. And I think that's when people are realising quite how demanding it, it is to do things online. Although I do think it's really important that we recognise that we have had the capacity to do that and that it is going to bring new opportunities to people as well. Um, so one thing I've been really aware of is um, in, a, in a kind of student situation is that people like to go at different paces. So with pre-recorded material now, things are much easier for people. They can go at exactly the pace they, you know, one of my sons will watch everything at two and a half times speed and the other one will do exactly the opposite. He'll pause every sort of five minutes or so and take notes and carry on. So there is, there have been things that have allowed people to work in their own ways, I think, as well. So, so many questions um, about, for example, so what can, um, how can we make, cause, because not everybody's going to go back, presumably. No. We, don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There is going to be definitely an impact, isn't there, on, mm-hmm. on hybrid working, people who choose to work at home. So let's talk about the employer's point yeah. of view. If people are at home, what kind of things should they really be aware of and can they do to make a difference? So I think some of this comes down to employers as well as employees. Yes, exactly. Um, but, but a key thing uh, for both is a, a really simple thing is to make sure the technology is as good as it can be. Um, so we need to have good quality sound. We need good internet connection and we need good computers to be able to get the richest experience we can. So simply making the experience as rich as possible and as full as possible means that your brain isn't having to work so hard. Um, everyone's had the experience of listening to someone who's continually breaking up or who's coming through a really narrow frequency range and sounds really tinny. It just, it's unpleasant to listen to and we have to concentrate much harder and we're more likely to just kind of completely lose the track of what's being said. 
Um, so that's a really simple thing that people can do. And just going back to that, so yeah. literally even down to voice quality yep. can make a difference, can it? Yes, and I think, I don't know if anyone's been aware of this, for example, listening to the radio or even watching television interviews, that because so many more of those have been been on Zoom, you can hear that I think you you have to concentrate harder on the people who have got a poor quality sound. So nice, rich quality sound really, really makes a difference. Um, we, we, um, I think people underestimate the purpose of the human voice and, and the need for the kind of richness of, of the timbre of our voice. That's the, the kind of tones. And all of that is what com- helps us to convey the, the, the emotion and the meaning of what we're saying. It's not just words. It's all the melody. It's the richness of your tone. That is what helps you to communicate. And we're losing that aspect of communication. And we're also losing some of the kind of nonverbal communication. So all those things that add that are kind of wrap around our words to give our words meaning, we're having to work much harder to be able to, to get those. One thing that I've noticed since I've talked to you, because I've so much of you are saying, and I hope the uh, everybody listening will, will take away a lot from this podcast, is that we play often pictures over somebody talking. And mm. I actually, there's a facility in the studio where I can continue seeing them talk. Mm. And actually, I need to do that because I, I must be lip reading. I don't know what yes, I'm doing, yeah. but I understand them better if I see their face. Yeah, and that we know that, again, from loads and loads of studies, that we all lip read. So we think of that as being something that, that people uh, who are hard of hearing or deaf do, but actually, we all do it. We all use those uh, the facial expressions and we all use lips to help us to interpret what we're hearing. Uh, and so it is the quality of the sound, but it's obviously the quality of the image as well. And so even the fact that the image is small means you're having to work harder to do that. But you're absolutely right. Uh, we, we need all of that information. It makes it much easier for our brain to do that job. So really important um, going forward, if there are going to be people who are still working from home, and I'm, I'm sure there will be, um, that employers invest in that because you just might not think that a microphone is important or do you sort of mean you just, I didn't know it was that that key. It really, really is. Uh, we've only run a couple of pilot studies so far, so I haven't got much data on this. But, but certainly, the inf- the what we're seeing from our kind of initial data is that people take in more, they remember more, and they engage more when they've got good quality sound, um, as opposed to something that's kind of, you know, not good quality. And let's talk about, um, because it will happen and it's already happening, isn't it? Some people are in the office, other people are not. So if you're Mm. that person Mm. who's not in the office, Mm. who's on the Zoom, or you're the people in the office, what's Mm. the kind of dynamic going on there? I think that is going to be one of the really interesting moves forward because up until now, everyone's been in their own little box. It's like kind of celebrity squares, isn't it? Everyone's in their own little box on uh, on your screen. But I've just started having meetings now where two or three people might be on one screen and we're entering into this hybrid world. And I think there is, there's a lot of communication that goes in on in a room that we're, again, we're not necessarily aware of or we may be aware of, but which um, are not picked up on the camera. Um People can kind of look at each other. They can kind of move in a certain way, even just seeing someone start to fidget. So you can see someone's getting a little bit bored because they start to fidget. And and if I'm 
speaking in a meeting and I see someone starting to fidget, I think, oh, shut up, Catherine, you're going on too long. But we use those cues actually to to make decisions. And I think also, um, yeah, I think we're going to have to be really, really aware of that. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I think we're going to have to be aware again of the communication that happens outside of that little square of what you're seeing on the computer. I mean, I think the thing is there, isn't it, that it's easy, um, you can sort of see how somebody who's not in the room mm. can become le- sort of disenfranchised by some way because even a small raise of an eyebrow yep. Yep. can can change the tone, can't yep. it? Yep, absolutely. And they wouldn't have seen it. You can't see that from home. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think there there is going to, there's going to be a real need for transparency, isn't there? I think there's going to be people... Yeah, I think it could create divisions and and so on if we're not really careful about how we manage that. So what other things can employers do? So they will continue meetings like that, won't they? So what is it? Do they need to take notes? Do they need to record them? What kind of things would you say? I think one of the things that's going to be so important is to have really good, true records of meetings um, so that we, we can record a meeting, obviously, that's happening online, but also that there are really good, accurate minutes so that there's total transparency and that people who've had maybe... Because uh, people are going to have had different levels of quality of experience of that meeting. And so to make things fair, I think it's just going to be very important to make things properly recorded. And that's either as a kind of visual and audio recording or as kind of notes and minutes, but that there's a good record of what's happened. Um, and what about the length of meetings as well? Because, you know, yeah. the thing about Zoom as well, you know, it, I think it's just automatically, there are other, obviously, things you can do. You can mm-hmm. go on Microsoft Teams, but every single meeting is automatically one hour, which is quite a long time. It is a long time. And we've had a policy um, at our place that meetings aren't allowed to be more than an hour and that there has to be at least a five to five or 10 minute break in between. And I personally think that's about the maximum. I mean, I would recommend that people, as far as possible, had smaller meetings. So I don't know how many um, people listening have had experience of things like breakout groups. And a lot of people don't like breakout groups, but actually in a in this kind of online environment, they're, they're better, they're easier to manage because you are only trying to look at one other person or two other people. You're not trying to look at, you know, 20 other boxes and trying to keep up with the chat and all that, you know, because that's another thing is that people are often using the chat and they're sharing screens and they're putting things. It's real overload. So I think shorter, smaller, smaller online meetings is what we should be doing and also really focusing on what that meeting is about so go into the meeting with a very specific aim and goal for what you want to get out of that meeting and then leave the kind of more creative um, sort of uh, thinking where you're trying to come up with ideas to smaller groups and if possible have those sorts of things in person even if it's people going out for a walk together um, so make meetings small, focused um, and short as much as possible. Um, there are so many different things we've talked about. What about the sort of long-term impact on our brains? Do you think there will be an effect? I think this is something people have asked a lot and my gut reaction and everything I can see from the data so far is no, I don't think there will be a long-term effect on most people. I think there are a small number of people in society, particularly older people or people who've been particularly isolated or people who already had bad memories who might have long-term changes. But for most of us, 
I think we will bounce straight back and most people are bouncing straight back. The only study that actually, that I know of, that actually tracked memory, so actually measured memory at various points through lockdown and attention and concentration and so on, found that people improved as lockdown eased. And just going back to my own study, we actually found that people are still able to produce really, really rich, good memories. So the memory system per se still works. I don't think we need to worry that it's broken. It's just not in its optimum. It's just not being at, in its optimum environment. And so it's about sort of enabling and facilitating our, our memories again. Um, I love what you said there about sort of rich and good work. So have mm-hmm. we been able to do rich and good work around creativity or you know, have we been, you know, will will it change? Will we get better at all that again? Yeah. And some people still have been very creative. What's been very, it's just that they've directed it in different ways. So one of the things that we asked people to do as part of our study was to just tell us their most important memories from lockdown. And loads of people were doing all sorts of things. They were, there was one of the big themes that came out was people being creative and that might have been cooking or it might have been gardening or it might have been knitting or it might have been building a bivouac or it might have been you know getting into art again or something but people have been creative it's just that they've been creative in a different place because the workplace no longer was offering the same opportunity to do that so I don't think people have lost their creative streak and I think uh, and some people obviously still were. I mean, lots of musicians have gone off and made new albums and things. But I think um, I think it's just enabling and facilitating those creative processes again. What about productivity? I think the biggest... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm distracted by the fact that it's absolutely pouring with rain here as well. That is another thing, isn't it? How distracted you get by things that are going on that you wouldn't get in a room. But you see, if I was there, that's the thing. If I was there... I'd also be looking at the rain, wouldn't I? Yeah, and I, it's a bit like when you're driving. So when you're driving, if you're talking yeah. to someone on the phone when they're driving, you can't see what they can see. But if you're in a passenger seat, it's it's fine because you you adjust what you do and say according to what you can see the driver's going through. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is a really good point. Uh, um, we talk about productivity product- to remind you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So productivity, what you were saying, what's the long-term impact on productivity? I I don't think there will be a negative impact. I mean, I do think we have to be aware of long COVID. Long COVID is a real thing. It affects cognitive function and lots of people are going to be living with that. And we do need to take that seriously and be aware of it. Um, And and for people like that, I think they are going to need to take more breaks and to be given some um, kind of allowances. But I don't think on the whole productivity is going to drop I think so long as we're sensible and so long as we give people make sure people have got time to sort of sleep and rest sleep and rest is really really super important and that was something that people didn't do for a little while at the beginning of lockdown because it was so demanding and people having a lot of people had family at home or homeschooling we need to make sure sleep and rest should be an absolutely fundamental part of every workplace of of everybody's life. And it's hard. Some people really struggle to fit that in. But even 15 minutes break will make a difference. I think so long as people are sensible, so long as they're reflecting and so long as we um, recognise that sometimes people will work better in five good hours than 10 poor hours, I think we'll be okay. But we do need to, to be aware of the demands of, of these different ways of working. Yeah, because there are benefits, you know, there are lots of benefits, aren't there, from, I don't know, whatever it might be, taking your children to school, yeah. perhaps, yeah. or whatever it is. So moving forward for both employees and employers, do you think 
the hybrid version or some different version of what we had before would be good? I do, actually, because I think uh, one of the things that I've seen in, in various bits of data and in our own study is that some people made some really positive changes in their life. So absolutely, lots of people struggled and lots of people had a lot of additional stress. But some people did make changes by not having to commute. They were able to, um, to, 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 to kind of go for walks instead of commuting or they were able to sleep a lot longer. And they were also able, as you say, to spend time with the family, which was really important. So we can take some of that with us. If people are working at home, say, three days a week and in the office two days a week, then the thing is to make sure on those three days that they are doing the things that are good for their well-being, that they're doing the kind of work that that will work better in that setting, and that when they are in the office or with their work colleagues, that they are then doing the stuff that will work better together, like the creative brainstorming types of of activities. Going forwards, um, what kind of top tips? We talked a little bit about technology. I mean, it's obviously both a help and a hindrance, isn't it, yes, as well? Yes, absolutely. So, so tell us how it can help, do you think, and what sort of things employers should particularly be looking at? I think technology can help in from an accessibility point of view. So simply, people are more available. We can, we can um, bring people... Uh, to into a meeting who live a long way away without them having to travel. So it's a massive time-saving thing. Um, I think it's an absolutely brilliant way to, to share information to lots of people and then to have a recording of that shared information so that people can watch it in their own time at their own pace um, and so on. Uh, one of the tricks, of course, is to make sure people still are engaging with those sorts of things. But if they do, then I think that can be a real um, bonus. I think giving people the flexibility about how and when they work is a, a huge bonus. People do work in different ways and people even have, we even know that some people work better in the morning and some people work better at night. So having that flexibility is also going to be brilliant. I think, I think the thing that we need to be aware and careful of is that we um, still ensure that people are doing the things that are good for their own well-being. And that means taking proper breaks, not having massively long meetings, getting physical exercise. And that is something that both employees and, and employers can look for, you know, building in time so that if people are working at home, that they still maybe go for a walk or have walking meetings. And so movement, getting around, be aware that that's really, really good for us as well, I think. That's been, I mean, that's been one of the main things I've taken out of this podcast as well. One other thing you told me, never work in bed. Ah, yeah, forgot about that one. That's so important because sleep is just such a fundamentally important part of, of brain restoration. We have kind of little neuronal sweet sleep, like street cleaners that go around sweeping up all the mess in our brain while we're sleeping. And all of our sort of memories are consolidated while we sleep. So much happens to our brain while we're asleep. And we need that sleeping time. So um, one of the most important things is to try and find your routine and stick to a regular sleeping routine, but not to take work into the bedroom. And people do it all the time, but it's just such bad practice because it means you're not going to sleep properly and uh, yeah, you're not doing either thing properly. And one sort of final thought really um, going ahead is that we are so connected and we've become so much more connected, mm -hmm. haven't we? So those emails come in at all yeah. hours of the day and the night. And I think they they did before, but I is there a sense from your point of view that that's been increased? And what should we be doing about that, given the impact on sleep, etc.? 
Yes. And I think, I think some, as you say, some people were, had that situation already, but it's become much more widespread. And the, the uh, expectation for a response is much more widespread. So one of the key things for, as, as an individual that you can do is to set really clear parameters. And I'm useless at doing this, but when I do do it, it really, really works. So if you decide that you're taking two or three hours out to do a creative task or a productive task, just turn that email off. I know that the emails keep building up, but you have to recognize that it's the only way that your brain will be free to do that work. If you're always on alert for every time it pings, every single time that email pings is going to distract you. So that's something you can do as an individual. And I think what employers need to do is to build in expectations around people's response times so that they recognize that people aren't being expected to respond within because there is this awful thing that if I haven't responded within five minutes, people are going to think I'm not listening or I'm not paying attention. So there needs to be, I, I think, even kind of um, organization-wide uh, agreements about what is a reasonable time to reply to an email. Um, and so we expect a reply within X number of days or or whatever, or, or to code them, you know, to have red emails and green emails and say red emails need to be responded to by that day. Green can be left for a week or whatever. But there has to be some kind of regulation is absolutely taking over people's lives. And it's such a demand on our resources. Back to one of your points, you said that some people work better in the morning, some yes. people work better in the day. So some people, I mean, I try not to send emails at 4am. Yeah. I mean, I am up at 4am and actually that's a really creative space yeah, for me. Yeah. And, and I remember stuff and actually, but that can really, you know, or the other end of the day could have equal impact on, you know, on when you send things, for example. I think that's, that is true. But also I, I think that's about the expectation. So I personally would say it's okay for you to send emails at 4am if that's good for you. So long as the, so long as people have turned their email off and as long as you're not expecting them to reply at 4am, which I'm sure you're not. So one of the things that I've seen people do is to put a, a sign off on their email that says something like, I work flexible hours, which means I may, I may email you or respond at unusual times, uh, but please do not feel obliged to to match your working hours to my working hours. It, there was, people have put things like that. And actually, as soon as I see that in someone's email, I feel kind of a sense of relief. Like, it's OK, I can work when I work, you work when you work. And then the other point about uh, being in the office and not being in the office, you know, you would know that they're not responding because they're incredibly busy. Yeah, exactly. You, you can that. see that they're busy. Yeah. So when people are at home, there's, I think there's also that that we are... We live in such a society of kind of we have to be seen to be productive all the time um, and re resting and stopping is almost seen as a lazy thing to do. And I I have followed um, evidence-based research on this and I would really recommend everyone read Claudia Hammond's book on the art of rest because it is excellent on all, on all of this but the evidence-based stuff shows that people are more productive and they do better and they work better if they do take that time out I love that book because it tells you you could the rest could be whatever yeah. it can be whatever you choose it can be all it can be gardening it can be walking yeah. it can be whatever you choose can't it um for me um what I'm going to take away I'm going to take so much away from this podcast um but what it what it seems to me is that our brain is like a some supercomputer but actually, you know, what we've learned over the last 18 months is it needs breaks and we need yeah. to look after it. Yeah. And, you know, the technology and yeah. the sound and think about lots of different things which we've taken for granted, actually. Yeah, those are absolutely important. And 
we don't think of our brain as being part of our body, but you wouldn't do that with your body. You wouldn't relentlessly just keep moving and moving and moving. You'd have to sit down and take a break and stop. And we need to treat our brain in the same way. We need to recognize that, uh, you know, and even if you're sort of a really elite athlete, you take time out and allow your muscles to build and allow yourself to get fitter. So the brain is exactly the same. You can push it and you can work it, but it needs that time out. It needs rest. It needs sleep. It needs um, space um, to to let this kind of default mode network, we call it, the, the sort of creative part of our brain come online. And there's no surprise that um, the last 18 months have been very stressful because mm. our brains, unbeknownst to me at least, were doing extra work. They were, and they were not just doing the extra work we've talked about. They were also processing the new ways of living and and just the fear actually you know people were scared certainly at the beginning of the pandemic it was there was lots to be worried about I think and and worry takes up another corner of that capacity so it's been tiring it's been exhausting I think and that's okay we just acknowledge it yeah and and going forward things hopefully <laughs> in your view if we can get back to normal we'll feel better yeah and I think even if it's not normal normal but it's a kind of slightly different way I think we just have to take the lessons forward we need to take forward the things that worked for us as individuals um, and recognize the things we find difficult and try and adjust accordingly and employers role in that I think employers role is to listen to their staff um, to make sure they're to to Find out where their strengths and weaknesses are, and what is difficult, and 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 um, and what is less difficult for people, and to try and have flexible policies, but also to recognise the importance for taking breaks and for not having long, intense online meetings. On that note, <laughs> I'm going to end this really intense meeting. But I've enjoyed it so much, and I hope people are listening as well. There's so much to take take in from all of that, and. Um, you know, it has been an extraordinary, you know, we couldn't have done this. We couldn't have done this podcast without the technology. Exactly, but to know a little yeah. bit about how it's impacting on us, I think is really a powerful tool actually to take forward. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, absolutely. There are definite benefits, but we need to be aware of the the costs as well. Okay, well, I should look forward to going for a run with you in real life. I know you've <laughs> been for an 11 mile run today. I'm nothing like that, but absolutely well done to you. And you're going to do a half marathon? What are you doing? I'm doing the Royal Parts half marathon in uh, October, 10th of October. So if anyone's out there can come and give me a wave oh absolutely lovely um Catherine Lovelace thank you very much indeed for your time it's been an absolute pleasure thank Thank you. you thanks very much